this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your former old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Uh, today... As you heard read, we're back in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're studying this passage of God's Word where, where we come into the book of Ephesians, and we're looking at um, how God speaks to us as His people and says, because of who you are and because what has been done for you, here's how you put on display your new life in Jesus. And in our section this morning, we're just looking at two verses, Paul goes from talking about uh, how we use our hands and our work, as we saw last week, to something else. And the thing that he's going to address is it seems like a very small part of who we are, but it has a really big impact. A few weeks back, maybe a month or so ago, I was able to go to a, a hockey game with my brother and a business associate of his. And it was up in Anaheim. And, and so I had driven up and, and the game was going long. So I tried to come home a little bit early. I knew I still wasn't going to get home till about midnight. And uh, as I was coming off the freeway, I was getting off at Temecula Parkway. I was going the back way up into Valley Center. Right as I pull off, I hear, thump, dun, 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 and I get a flat tire. It's like 11.30 at night. I'm like, I just want to be home. And I pull into a gas station right there at the exit. And as I pull into a space, you know, I get out, I assess it, I need to change the tire. And so I start pulling out the things in order to get ready to, to change the tire. And a guy from across the parking lot says, oh man, I have the same, same problem. I got a flat tire too. And uh, I said, oh, he's like, hey, I've never done this before. Would you help me out? And I said, yeah, no problem. We're going to be able to do this really quick. I said, uh, could I use the, your jack? It's going to be a little bit faster than the one that I have. And so, so I said, um, you know, we'll change yours, then we can change mine. And, and so I was marveling as I was changing that tire. The jack that we used was only about this big. And we were both driving SUVs, okay? You know, it's like this big. And we stick it in the car, and I'm cranking it up. And every time I crank up a, a car to, you know, with a jack, I'm always like, you know, because it's like, because I'm looking at it, I'm like, how can something that small lift that much weight? 
I mean, it's really, a, it's, a, it's a marvel. I know it's physics and everything and the material, but it's truly a marvel that something that small can actually lift a car off the ground. We changed his, we changed, changed mine. And I, and I think about that, and I was thinking about how something so small can be so impactful when I thought about our passage this morning. Because here we are in Ephesians chapter 4, and what we find in Ephesians chapter 4 is Paul is talking to us, God's word is speaking to us about how we, as the people of God, use our mouths, use our tongues, this very tiny little thing, but yet what a big impact it can have. And, and so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at how our new life in Christ, how it transforms us, and specifically how it is to transform the use of our tongue, the use of our speech. But before we jump into it, I want us to acknowledge something. The very fact that we are being given instruction here on how we use our speech reminds me of a very central biblical truth when it comes to how we use our speech, and, this is, and that is this. Our speech is our responsibility. God's word is very clear that our speech, the words that we say, we are responsible for them. Because God's word comes and says, here's how you are to, to use your words, we're being reminded that, listen, no matter what we say, we're responsible for it. Our speech is our responsibility. That's the first point that, that I want us to consider this morning. And that point is emphasized in Matthew 12, 36. When Jesus is speaking to a group of people, he says this to them. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now, if you just read that first blush, you'd think to yourself, oh, great, so I can say whatever I want because it's only the careless words I'm going to give an account for. That's not what it's saying. Every careless word and every word you speak, we'll have to give an account for. There's no words that proceed from our lips that we're not responsible for. Our speech is our responsibility. In fact, later on, you know, when you go back in the Old Testament in Psalm 34, 13, we read this instruction, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Keep your tongues from evil. There's this command, we're responsible for the things that we say. There's not a person here today that at the end of their life will stand before the Lord and, and say, you know, I heard you say this and you can say, oh, I don't know how that got there. I, that, that wasn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I, oh, I didn't mean that. You said it though, right? When I was a little kid, I one time saw a scratch on our family van and uh, I thought, well, I have paint and uh, there's a scratch on the van so I could use the paint that I have as a seven-year-old and I can do a little touch-up here. You know, I can, I can fix the scratches on the van. Um, and so sure enough, I took the paint and I fixed the scratches on, on the van. My parents came out, and because of the wonderful job I did, immediately said, how did that get there? And I was like, I'm like, I've got no idea. Maybe it was Aaron. Maybe it was my two-year-old sister. I don't you know. Meanwhile, I got like paint still on my fingers. They're like, oh, really? Look at that, right? The same thing happens with how we talk and how we use our words. God says, listen, we're going to give an account. There, there's no meaningless words that we speak. And we have to think about that and, and it, because when Paul comes, inspired by God here, and, and he talks to us, he's going to talk to us about the, the seriousness of what we say. But, but there's another truth here, and I think this is the real reason why ultimately Paul 
feels it's so important to talk to us about how we talk as those who are new in Jesus, and that's because our speech reveals what's in our heart. Our speech reveals what is in our heart. Jesus, again, he was speaking in Matthew 12, 34 and 35, and he's talking to the religious leaders. And when he's talking to the religious leaders, he says this, he says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart or out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. The Bible is clear, as clear as can be. What's in your heart is revealed by what you say. And Paul, I think, has Jesus' words in mind because earlier in chapter 4, and we heard it read this morning, I want you to read this with me. This is Ephesians 4, 17. Listen as I read it. He said this, this whole section begins with, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Paul knows that what's in our heart is revealed by our speech, and Paul is communicating to us as believers and saying, you've learned Christ. What's happened in your heart is it's no longer hardened and calloused and dead. Your heart's been brought from death to life. Sensuality and selfishness are no longer the dominating forces in your heart, but it's God and his Holy Spirit who indwells you. And so why should we be so mindful and careful about the things that we say? It's because it reveals what's in our heart. You know, I was thinking about how true this is when you know, I have this cup, and, and I've used an illustration similar to this in the past, and this is just a red cup, but what's inside the cup? Uh, how do you know out there what's inside the cup? From up here, you, you could take a lot of guesses at what's inside the cup, but it's not until I ultimately pour the cup out that the cup overflows that you know what's inside of it. Is it a solid? Is it a liquid? Is it one thing? Is it, is it many things? You don't know, but it's quickly revealed the moment I start pouring it out. And actually what's in this are pinto beans. <laughs> That's what's inside. Were you thinking pinto beans were inside the cup? Most people weren't, right? It's not until you pour it out that you begin to understand, oh, what's inside of it? Just as it's now obvious to you because I have poured it out, oh yeah, no, those are pinto beans. So too God's word says what you say, how you use your speech, it shows what's in your heart. And if we are new in Jesus Christ, and we are, that's going to be manifested in certain types of speech. And so verse 29 begins by telling us what kind of speech should not be on display. And it begins with this. Look at verse 29. Here we go. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. If you're new in Jesus, new hearts, what shouldn't be coming out of your mouth is corrupting talk. Now, just as we saw in earlier verses, this isn't a suggestion, right? The let not is not a, you know, you really shouldn't have it. No, it's a, it's a command. It's a command, and what we're being co commanded to do is don't let 
corrupt talk come out of your mouth. We're, we're new creations, and so it should affect the things that we say. But what kind of speech should not come out of our mouths? What is this corrupt talk that he's referring to? Well, the Greek word that's used here that refers to corrupt talk, it's this great Greek word that was used to describe rotting fish or rotting produce. I mean, icky, right? And so, so what the hearers of this would have had in mind is like, oh, yeah, no, oh, corrupting talk, it's, it's, it's the kind of stuff that, that's rotten, and it causes rotting. And like, why is it so bad to, to speak rotten words to somebody else? Well, the reason why it's bad to speak corrupt words to other people is because it in itself has a corrupting impact. If I had rotten produce or rotten meat and I gave it to my family members, what would happen to them? At minimum, what would happen? They'd get sick because it would influence their physical selves in that way. Their, their body would struggle with processing it. At worst, they could, they could die. And so why are we a people that don't speak corrupting talk to other people? It's because it can be destructive to them. And so what he's really saying here is do not speak words that are rotten or spoiled because they can be destructive. What we're learning right here is that our speech can harm others. Our speech can harm others. I don't think that this comes as a shock to many of us. I think it's kind of stating the obvious. But we grew up all hearing that little ditty, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never what? Hurt me. Well, according to the God who created speech, the God who gave us the ability to communicate with one another, he comes and he says, no, that's false. Words can harm. The things we say are destructive to, to people. You don't have to work very hard, and it's very depressing, so I wouldn't encourage you to do it, to just go online and Google. Just Google people bullied and suicide. And what you'll discover is those, uh, just a litany of stories of young men and young women around the country who were not harmed physically by other people, but were so harmed by the words that were spoken to them that they felt that the only way that they could be alleviated from the suffering that was caused because of what people were saying about them was to take their own lives. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words can be tremendously destructive. We can harm others with what we say. Proverbs 18.21, though, said it first. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life, Proverbs 18.21 says, are in the power of the tongue. But James, he would say the same thing. In fact, if you want almost an entire chapter on speech, you look at James chapter 3, in verses 3 through 5, it says this. We put bits into the mouths of horses, horses so that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder 
wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Have you ever been harmed? Have you ever felt the destructive power of words from others towards, towards you? Uh, maybe you don't want to be too transparent this morning, but have you ever seen the destructive power and the harm caused by the words you spoke to someone else? Now, this does beg a question for us, though. He says, let no rotten speech come from your mouth, speech that will corrupt others. It begs the question, what type of speech is he referring to? How do I know if what I'm saying is rotten, if it's spoiled, if it's corrupting, if it can be harmful? You know, when it comes to food and produce, produce, it's really easy to be able to tell if something is spoiled. We tell it by our senses and specifically our smell. Um, my wife has a super sniffer. Like, she is great at, she's like, she's like, you know what? That's about, you know, 48 hours, nope, 47 hours from spoiling. Like, she can just, she just tells in advance that things are happening. Because she's so sensitive to that, she'll at time just say, hey, could you just smell this too, just to make sure, because maybe I'm being too sensitive, maybe it's not quite there yet. And so the other day, she was making dinner, and uh, we were going to be cooking Brussels sprouts, and she was making that. I know some of you don't like Brussels sprouts. I like a good Brussels sprout, okay, no judgment here. And, and so she comes to me as I come home, and she says, I think the Brussels sprouts might be spoiled. Would you, you know, would you check? Now, I went into it thinking my wife has a super sniffer, and so, you know, maybe she's being overly sensitive, so I'm really going to make sure and see if these things are rotten, right? So I take the bag from her, and I go in deep, you know, I'm just like, I begin to suck in. And these were beyond spoiled, like, you know, I'm just like, oh, I start gagging. I'm just like, ah, it's pretty obvious, and she's like, I know, I told you. I said I thought they were probably spoiled. I said, yeah, but I thought you were being too sensitive, and I'm like dying. The girls are laughing at the reaction. We can tell instantaneously almost anybody. You don't need a super sniffer to be able to pick out if a piece of food is spoiled. But what about your speech? How good are you? How good am I at identifying the corrupting speech that Paul says is no longer part of who we are? We don't speak this way because, because that's not what's in our hearts. Fortunately for us, we don't have to guess at it. All we got to do is just look a little bit further in the text. So let's keep on reading. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for what? Building up. And, and so church, let's see if the second hour is just as smart as the, the first hour. What's the opposite of building up? Tearing down. tearing down. Good. All right. Don't be afraid. Like tearing down. And so he's saying that the speech that we are to speak is building up speech. So the corrupting talk is talk that tears people down. This is the corrupt speech, speech that tears people down. Now, there's other speech that shouldn't be a part of who we are, and he's going to talk about it in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at that after, after Easter. But right here, the emphasis is on identifying the speech that we use that tears people down. And so how do we tear people down? How do we tear people down with our speech? I think it's when we speak in such a way that it makes a person think of themselves in ways that go against what God thinks about them. 
I think we tear people down when we speak to them or speak about them in ways that paints a picture of them that goes against the way that God ultimately sees them. And it can be very, very subtle when we engage in this. It's true that none of us is perfect, but when we come to people and all we can do is find their faults, find their mistakes, and we criticize them, and when we tear them down by saying, you're always this way, you never do that, this person, and we don't speak to them truths for the purpose of, of helping them and building them up, what we're doing is we're cutting and tearing them down. When we have conversations with people about other people, and as we're talking, we're talking about the person who's not there because when we have people leave the conversation, we want them to think less of the other person. This is speech that tears people down. Are you tracking with me? I don't think we are unaware of what this looks like. When you speak the truth to someone about themselves, but do it in a way to make them pay, so take, for instance, somebody in the past wronged you, but they've sought forgiveness, and yet you keep bringing up the thing that they did wrong, either to them or to others, over and over again. Next week, we're talking a message about forgiveness. And part of forgiveness is that you're not bringing the sin up again and again. What's the way that you tear a person down is when you keep bringing up their past over and over again to not help them, but instead to lower them in the eyes of others or to make them pay. God's word says to us, this is not who you are. This is not the type of speech that comes from our lips. And lest we think that this is not important, lest we think that it's not significant and that we should really put a guard over our mouths, look at verse 30. Look at verse 30, and let me read it to you. It says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Church, there's no um, fancy way to interpret this passage. It's as straightforward as straightforward can be. What it's coming and telling to us is this. There are actions and speech that you and I can engage in that as clear as day in the eyes of God are grievous to him. Now, is it true that in and through Jesus Christ, every one of our sins is forgiven, past, present, and future? Is that true? Yes. yes. Let me just, one more time. Are all of our sins in Christ forgiven, past, present, and future? Yes. Can Anything separate us from the love of Jesus Christ according to Romans? No. We are loved by him. We are viewed by him as holy and righteous. Our standing before him is as such. But make no mistake, there are actions and things that we do this side of heaven until we are perfect and glorified that when we speak to one another in ways that tears down and rather than builds up, it says it grieves the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that he is no longer forgiving you. Does that mean that he doesn't love you? No. What it means is 
God's word is talking to us. And although God is not a human being, it's speaking to us in language that we can understand because he wants us to see the seriousness of our speech. He could have used this phrase with stealing. Remember how he said earlier, it's like we're not a people who steal anymore, but we give generously. We're not a people who lie anymore, but we're people who speak the truth. Those things as well grieve the Holy Spirit, but he comes here and he pauses and he, and he stops and he says, oh, by the way, just as a reminder to you, when you and I speak in a way that tears people down, that's grievous to God. The Holy Spirit indwells you and, and, it's, and it's something that, that grieves him because it's not who you are. When we talk about it grieving God, what we're saying is God is grieved when we do not live out the new life we have been given. And so why does he attach it to our speech? Because I think that, that we are far too flippant with our words. I, I, I don't think that we set a watch over our speech. And, and, and so what Paul is saying is like, you got to take your speech seriously. You got to really consider, is what I'm saying, how is it impacting the other people? Is what I'm saying going to please the Holy Spirit or is it going to grieve the Holy Spirit? Just taking that little pause before we engage with the things that we say. And so Paul comes and he says, listen, one of the beautiful, beautiful truths is that if you're in Jesus Christ, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means wherever you go, God is with you. So you're never alone. Isn't that comforting? That's good to know. That's so comforting. God is with you wherever you go. It also means that, that the power of Christ indwells you. you. Not being alone and having the Holy Spirit with you means that we can live this new life. But it also means because the Holy Spirit is with us and he empowers us, it also means that he is aware of every word you and I speak. And so Paul says, be mindful of that because our words are powerful. You know, we don't do it um, hardly at all today. Um, in fact, when we do do it, it's because we're using it to uh, give fragrance to a room. You know, but in the past, candles were the primary means for generations in which people brought light into dark spaces. You used a candle. We didn't have the electricity that we have today. And so people would use candles. And when you think about the people who had to use candles in order to to illuminate a room, they realized two things about a candle. One, it could produce light, but what produced the light was fire. And if you placed a candle in the wrong place, too close to something which was flammable, it could be tremendously destructive. That's why James says, man, listen, it just takes a small fire to light a whole forest ablaze. And so a candle in one sense can be a powerful and wonderful thing, it can illuminate, but it can also be destructive if not handled correctly. And that's where God's word says, so too it is with us. Our speech can harm others. But church, praise be to God, that that's not all that this passage is about. In fact, we get to end on a, on a high note here. We get to reflect here on something that is so wonderful about what Jesus Christ has done in our hearts, that instead of the overflow of our hearts now only being that which is corrupt, instead now look at how the rest of the passage works itself out. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. 
We're responsible for our speech. Our speech can harm others, and it reveals what's in our hearts, but our speech can help others. Our speech can help others. The text is clearly, but only such as is good for building up. This, this is such a marvelous thing that I don't know we consider enough. When Paul talks about building others up, he's using a, a phrase and terminology that would be referenced to a construction worker, a, a builder coming to, to material and taking the material and creating a structure, a home, a building from that material. Now, that might not seem like that big of a deal, but think of what he's saying. Your speech and my speech, it is an instrument that God can use in someone else's life to take the material of their lives, to take the circumstances of their lives, to take the giftedness of their, of their lives, and as we use our words, we are helping to build them up, to form them with our words in a way that they are edified and God is glorified. Your speech has the ability to do that in the lives of others. Isn't that incredible? It's not just empty words. God's word comes and says to you, you and I, in the speech we use with one another, it can be used to build a person up. In fact, he goes even further than that. Look at what he says here. That it may give grace to those who hear. That word grace has been used a lot in Ephesians thus far. Grace has been a means and an instrument to create faith within us so that we can have our lives transformed and saved by Jesus Christ. In your speech, in my speech, he takes it a step further. He says, your speech is an instrument of literally grace helping to shape a person into who God wants them ultimately to, to be. I just think that that is, number one, incredible, but number two, such a blessing. God, that you would use me and my words, just my words, not even my, my actions, not my money, not even my stuff, but my very words as a way of helping someone else put on display and grow in who God wants them to be. I just think that that's so powerful. And what kind of speech does this? It's edifying speech. It's edifying speech. It's speech that builds people up. I don't know how often we think about it, but God's word says, I want you to. I want you to think about you in Christ and what can overflow from your heart is speech that builds people up. Proverbs 16, 24 says it this way. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. My words can be that. Your words can be that to someone else. Can you think in your life of a time when a word spoken to you did just that? Many of us can think to a time in our life where the words of someone else harmed us. Or we can go back and we can replay a conversation with somebody and they said something about us that we carry with us to this day. But can we not also consider the words that someone spoke? I was talking with somebody after the first service and they shared, they said, you know what? 
I, I had an experience like this where I spoke words and, and I was not even thinking much of it at the time, but it came back later. They were in the public school system as a, as a teacher and, and it was over 30 years ago and somebody, a student that was in their class who was really struggling, this teacher went to them and said, I just, I just want you to know, like if you need any help, you can call me. I want to be able to help you in this class. But he, he just signaled out this student just, just one day and, and, and he said, I'm, I'm here for you if you need me. And, and nothing really actually ever came of it, but 30 years later, that person called up that teacher and said, said, hey, I just I wanted to talk to you and let you know where I'm at in life. And he, he was just blown away. He's like, why did you reach out to, to me? Why did you track me down? He said, well, because you were the one teacher who said if I needed help, I could come to you and you would help me. And, and he was just, it was just a one word. He was just sending out a life raft to this, to this student and it was just, transformative for that. And, and he's like, I was just trying to help. Our words, well, Proverbs 10, 11 says this, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of, of life. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Our words can help, which is why Peter would write to the churches in 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, to be a people who bless, that you may receive a blessing. Now, it begs the question for us at this moment. I get an idea of tearing people down with my words, but what does it look like to speak these words that build up? I want to just give you some examples and, and some ways of, of thinking about ultimately to speak in this way. That what we're talking about here are, are words of affirmation. It's not just words of encouragement, but it's words of, of affirmation. These are the words that build up. It's seeing someone doing or saying that which represents or displays the image of God, his character and his nature, and letting them know it. When you and I see someone displaying the image of God, his character, his nature, engaging in activity or using their words that's consistent with who God is, it's an opportunity for us to point that out to them, to let them know that I see that. And sometimes it's going to be just the smallest glimpse. But we bless and we do not curse. When you come home, and your spouse has made dinner for you and the family. It could be something as simple as, I just want to say thank you for making this meal for us because you served us in making this meal. And when, when you serve us in this way, that's a it's a display of the way that Christ has served me. And so I see the servanthood of Christ in you. Very, very simple, but just straightforward. It's identifying those characters, those, those attributes that you see. It's, it's looking at somebody at church who during the greeting time, you, you saw them maybe go out of their way to, to smile and greet somebody who is new to the church and going up to them after church and saying, you know, I saw you. I saw you smile and greet that new family that was here today. You really showed a, a hospitality. I know you weren't doing it for the praise of, of man, but but you show that person the hospitality that Jesus has shown us by welcoming us into his, his family. Little words of affirmation, seeing glimpses of Christ in other people. 
to your child who's, who's there at, at home. There was, it was the darn cutest thing in the first hour. We're sitting and we're worshiping. There was a little brother and sister right in front of me. And, and when, I, when I, I know the boy, and I'm going to hunt him down. I didn't get to yet. And his little sister came over to him and stood by him. And he looked at his little sister, and he just bent down, and he gave her a hug. And he looked at her, and he just smiled. And then they went on singing. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, that was the cutest thing ever. But, well, but in a situation like that, going up to that little boy and saying, your sister came and stood by you, and you gave her a hug, and you showed her comfort. And it reminds me of the comfort that Jesus Christ shows, shows us. Do you see this? Like these, how often are we these grace detectives where we're looking in people's lives and saying, saying, instead of tearing people down, going around in our church and in our families and finding the smallest glimpses and, and affirming what we see in people. For those of us that have children, thinking about this, we talked, Hannah and I talked about this the other day with, with one of our, our daughters, the idea of like, you give them a, a list of things to do, to take care of, to, to get ready for bed. And can, can you affirm a child that only does three of the things that you ask them to do? Like, is that right? Is that wrong? I mean, we probably correct them more than, we, more than not. But what about if they do, well, let's say it was, I want you to brush your teeth, I want you to clean up your clothes, and I want you to pick up your toys. What if they picked up their toys, but they didn't do the other two? Could you still go to them and say, you know what? Gosh, you picked up your toys. You did such a great job. It looks so clean and you're so orderly and, and you're responsible with your toys. And, and you know, our God's a God of order and, and he takes care, of, takes care of his things. You really did a great job in that. I can't wait to look forward to see what you do when you brush your teeth and you pick up the rest of your clothes, <laughs> right? And that's not offering any kind of correction, right? It's just purely affirmation. And then taking that. Now, as a parent, is that what you want to say to your child? <laughs> no, because we're... And now, is it wrong to correct people? No, it's not wrong. God's word is very clear on that. But we are so good at correction. And yet, speaking words that build up, it does not come naturally to us. That's why we're being encouraged here. And I want to leave you with this. And that is, to speak in this way requires wisdom and practice. To speak in this way, words that build up other people, requires wisdom and practice. The help of the Lord to think intentionally in the ways that I just shared with you. Most, of, most people are like, you know what? I'm not really good at words of affirmation. God's word tells us here that if you have been transformed by Jesus, we're a people who speak words to others that build up. That's not optional. That is a display of the new life we have in Jesus. And so if we're not doing it, it could just simply be because we're not actively thinking about how to do it and practicing it. And the reason why I know that sometimes it takes wisdom and it takes practice to do it is because he says in the text, speak that which is only good for building up. And there's this little phrase, as fits the occasion. Do you see it in your text? That little phrase, as fits the occasion, means that you and I have to understand the situation. To speak a word that fits the occasion means we have to be aware of what's going on around us. We have to understand how can I speak into this. So that's why I say it takes wisdom and it takes practice. You just don't come at this naturally. You just don't walk into it. Some people are just really good at, at encouraging others. But this is a whole other level of it. And the beautiful thing is 
God has enabled us by his spirit to be a people that can speak in this way. Isn't that awesome? What, what a blessing we receive when we get to be instruments in the lives of others, speaking words that build them up. What a blessing we receive as recipients of when we as a church family put this into to practice. Because church, in this set of verses, we're talking about putting our new life on display, our changed lives on display. And what Paul tells to us here is putting our changed lives on display, it means we build up other with our words rather than tear down. That's who we are. And when that's not a part of our day-to-day lives, then we take a step back and we say, Lord, you've made me to be this kind of a person. You've created in me a clean heart out of the overflow of the, of the heart the mouth speaks, and I know my heart is changed. And so help me to be a person who's able to identify and see those things that I can say to build up others. And there's a crazy thing. You don't always need to give money. You don't always need to give acts of service. God says just simply, through the words that you use, even though to you it might seem really small and not that big of a deal, it can be a transformative tool in the life of somebody else. I love that God's given us that blessing. May now we go and walk in what he has given. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, you're a good father who speaks what is true and right to us as your children. And just as you encourage us through your written word here, as you help us to see day by day who we truly are, even when we don't feel like it or, or think we are, Lord, so too now, on this earth, you have made us agents, men and women who are able to speak in such a way that builds up and, and doesn't tear down. So Lord, help us to be mindful of that. Lord, as I'm challenging our connection groups this week, Lord, so I challenge all of us, Lord, help us to think through who in my life, even today, you would want me to be an instrument, a tool of your grace to build that person up through the things that I would say. And thank you, Lord, that you've enabled us to be able to to do and to be that and to keep at bay those words that we would say that instead of building up would tear others down. May the fruitfulness of your Spirit's work in our life be on full display in our speech both today, this week, and for the rest of our lives because of, Lord, you first spoke over us. And it was through your son, Jesus Christ, that we've entered in to this new life. And so it's in his name that we pray and all God's people said, amen and amen.